Hello, this is Brent Weeks, author of the Night Angel Trilogy. Welcome to the Legendarium. I do think that he had one of the most entertaining um, sex sequences in this book. <laughs> which one? I don't yeah. remember. <laughs> uh, now the way I'm, that you just I'm said scared. that, Craig, was really, which one? <laughs> what, can you tell me what page that's on? Um, it's when, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need 20 minutes. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. I am your host, Craig Hanks. And over there, he once let out his Kakari in public, and now we're no longer welcome at that Olive Garden. It's Ryan Bruckman. Hey, you do what you have to to get the unlimited breadsticks. <laughs> Is that what you call them? Ew. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like Vi, in that her scars run deep, and also that she'll murder anyone who touches her hair. It's Stephanie Bruckman. The blue hair, that you don't touch the blue hair. I never have. I, I've never touched it. And frankly, I never will. As long as that's where the similarities between me and Vi end, I think I'll be okay. <laughs> uh, and I was hoping to get Neff Dada on the show, but since he's not real, I had to settle for the next worst thing. It's author and first-time panelist, Andy Pelequin. No insult? I feel I feel almost slighted, Craig. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 I mean, I know, I know you did the whole settled for second best thing, but I was, you know, I figured you could do something a little more creative. It, well, it, look, <laughs> expectations I, way too high. Yeah, there. exactly. You <laughs> clearly, you've never listened to the show if you're setting if you're setting even any sort of expectation. Um, so Andy is the author of many books. I I looked it up, and the number is many. Uh, Andy, how many books have you written? Uh, well, published 18, written 24. Gee, many Christmas. All right. So yeah. what, uh, what should people go check out if they want to, if, uh, if they want to get started with your work, what should they check out first? Well, the Hero of Darkness series is, is literally my answer to Night Angel. I loved the Night Angel series, but it was the Durzo character that was absolutely my focus. Kylar's story, he was the main character, but he was too young, that whole you know, young person coming into his power. I didn't like that. I wanted that badass, middle-aged killer in the prime of his power. So I wrote The Hunter, who is an assassin for hire, the greatest assassin in the world. There's a lot of similarities between his and Durzo's personality. Of course, the story goes off on its own, but I just loved that dynamic of that character who doesn't have to learn anything about, you know, developing his skill. It's just killing. Right on. So the Hero of Darkness, I counted seven published books seven. in that series. Yep. Okay. So so uh, is that is it finished? Is that it? Seven books? The the story arc was supposed to end at six, and when I finished book six, I realized I needed another five to seven book story arc after that. <laughs> All right. Well, we got so our books <laughs> coming up later. Later, I think 2020 uh, 20, or twenty twenty one. Okay. Uh, well, it's nice to have Robert Jordan on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Uh, so I will put a link to that series. What I'll do is I'll put a link to your entire Amazon page um, in the show notes. So if people want to go check out Andy's books, uh, please do so. So as he said, it's an answer to the Night Angel trilogy. And would you say it's not? It's not an answer to. It's a companion piece to. Uh, answer to makes it sound like you were dissatisfied and didn't like it, which I gather is not the case. I was, you know, a lot of the Kylar story arc. It was too young adult. Obviously, it was terribly grimdark because of all the stuff that happens to him throughout. But a lot of it was all that, the the insecurity of the younger character, which for me, uh, when I was reading it at the time, I wasn't super into it. I loved hearing about Durzo's adventure. I loved reading the, I think it's called Perfect Shadow, the, the novella that's just focused on Durzo. I was yeah. just going to ask you about that. Yeah, I just read that, I think, earlier this year. And, and and I enjoyed it. I, it just made me want more. You know, it just gave me those little those little teases about his story that made me want so much more. And it's it's just so disappointing that we're that we're probably not going to get any more of Durzo's story because he's moved on to other projects. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right. Well, let's let's move on before we get to the book itself. Uh, let's do a little housekeeping as usual. Go to Patreon.com/slash/Legendarium. That's where you can support the show. Uh, and head to thelegendariumpodcast.com. That's our website. 
And the reason I'm pointing you to that one right now is because uh, I just created ourselves a little merch store. Uh, so people Ooh. people have been asking me to do this for a little while, and I finally just I just realized there's no real reason for me not to have done this. Uh, so I did it. There's not much in it yet. Uh, just some kind of legendary and branded apparel that you can go check out. Autograph photos of the boys, because who doesn't want your photo up on their wall? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we don't have many pictures of me up on our wall, so <laughs> you'll notice you'll notice in the legendary studio there is not one homage to a single panelist, myself included, anywhere on the walls. This is uh, true. So, uh, I will come up with some sort of um, promo code that I will share at thelegendarium.reddit.com. Uh, so, I, and I'll share that out for the next few episodes as well. So, if you are interested in getting that apparel. Uh, because you listen to the show now and not three months from now. I don't know how long I'll make it last, okay. uh, a month or two. Uh, but I'll have a promo code there, thelegendarium.reddit.com. And that also happens to be where you can join the conversation. All right. Is that enough throat clearing? We ready to go? Buy our stuff. Let's go. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ryan, um, this series has been your baby. You suggested that we do the Brent Week stuff. Yes. Um, I'm the one who actually went and got that Brent Week's audio that we put at the top of the episode. Yeah. I flew 2,000 miles so that I could put a tape recorder in his face <laughs> and have him say, welcome to the Legendarium. I, uh, I'll have to listen to the episodes, I guess, and <laughs> hear that. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, but this is your, you, you suggested this, you really yeah. enjoyed this series, and I, normally, I kind of lead these discussions, but I asked you if you would do it because in this book, I was pretty confused and I wasn't sure where to go with it. And I'll be honest, I, I think I finished it three or four weeks ago, you know, whenever we were kind of thinking about recording it a month ago. Yeah. And, um, and it has largely kind of sieved through my mind and much of it is gone, I think. So I want to turn it to you if you want to recap for us kind of what happens in this book and then let's get started on the discussion. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, and to your point here, I've, I've, I'm a big fan of Brent Weeks's works and both Lightbringer and and this. So, I th are you are you by the way a big fan of when I get audio of him berating you for not coming to Atlanta? Yeah, yeah, I was very appreciative to have it. <laughs> I, I think you saw my uh, tweet where I he, he became a father figure to me when he said he was he was disappointed in me for, so. for not making it to Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should put that on the end of the episode. Yeah, we'll throw that on there so he can he can hear that. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, anyway, reviewing uh, here. So when we left, when we left our intrepid heroes in the band um, at the end of the second book, uh, we have uh, Kylar and wow. Now I'm in total sieve here. Eileen, thank you. Yeah, Thanks. it's Eileen. Uh, Kylar has just discovered Durzo is still alive. Oh, Sorry, and that's Durzo. where I'm at. Yeah. Durzo's still alive. Uh, Logan has uh, saved his people by facing the uh, the giant this is a really terrible recap <laughs> the monster thing the monster yeah so basically what where we're at is logan has to take over he's not king we still have a queen in the place but he the people love him kylar has defeated the god king but there's still something going on out there we have the great evil goddess kali oh uh, yeah who's who's uh, our next level in the ramp up here that we have to deal with uh we have this new character lantano garawashi who has appeared in the book before uh, who's with Fair. Uh Solon is out doing his thing, and uh, let's see, Fair is worth that one. And then Dorian. Dorian is gone, and he becomes the God King in this book. And then things happen. This is a great recap. <laughs> that's my favorite. That's the best part of any recap. So some stuff happens, and then yes, things happen. Logan has to kill <laughs> Kylar because he kills the Queen. Uh, they all have to come back together because Kali is now coming back and has taken over and we got to deal with there's a goddess in the, in the city. So that is a really terrible recap. That is, that is a really, a truly terrible recap. Um, Kylar, yeah. Kylar has to murder the queen. Um, and he, he tries to, he tries to get her, her brother, her incestuous brother. Uh, he tries to get him to, what, what is it? What, how does it go, Andy? He gets it. He gets her brother to, her brother goes to, and kills her. And he takes the blame That's for it. That's right. That's what it was. Um, he takes the blame for it and, and ends up dying for it as well. Yeah, he goes and kills himself later out of guilt anyway. Uh, how are we doing, Andy? Are we, are, 
Are we <laughs> you know actually are we actively getting anything wrong? I'm I'm pretty sure you are. Like you, the book. <laughs> it's the, the one thing that I loved about the first book of the Night Angel was that it was so narrow and focused. And then the second book got bigger, and the third book, it actually got so big that I went back and read it a, a second and third time, and I'm still having like trouble remembering all of the moving parts because there was so much going on in the whole story at large. So like like you, I was kind of going over things and refreshing it. <laughs> Nice. I, I that's I, you brought up the big point here, and we're going to ignore trying to recap this here and just move right into. <laughs> but as far as recaps go, it's really not the worst one we've done for this series. We did. So. We did an entire episode of recap, and that was our finest hour. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, I, I think something that you mentioned is is a big thing here is that the scope of this series continually grows, and a lot of good series do that. Um, that it becomes uh, you know your body gets bigger, things uh, become more difficult. But in this one, it, it does become a little bit more difficult to follow because even though you're familiar with the characters, each of their individual storylines become a bigger deal and end up being a bigger issue, a bigger thing for the finale here. Uh, whereas usually yeah. by the time you get towards the finale, you know, you start weaving uh, characters back together um, and the, those plot lines come back together. Well, this one doesn't really do that until literally like the last 50 you know, to 75 pages of the book. You know, we literally have uh, Solon coming back in with the diamond to finish the ruby ruby or sorry Ryan. the ruby uh for sayer Calestos, uh, you know and they're going that that's right at the end to bring the last character back um and vi and you've got vi out there doing her thing so i i appreciate the scope but it was a little bit difficult to follow sometimes uh on in the as to where everybody had gone it's right. easier on subsequent rereads when you know obviously who they are but yes uh what so since i'm leading this conversation so well <laughs> what uh what things still stick out to you now even though you've had some time away from the book what parts have stuck out and you still re remember um so i'm the, the wood the the cursed wood ezra's woods ezra's, ezra's wood. wood thank you um i where, was gonna say the same thing yeah uh, so that and the thing is i'm not sure that there was ever a, a really great payoff for Ezra's wood, that the monster in the wood comes out, right, for the final battle. Mm -hmm. um, the Dark Hunter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but but we never, like, I was really looking forward to a scene, and I had this whole scene written out in my mind where um, Kylark goes into the wood and, and kind of does battle with whatever's in the wood, and it was going to be this whole kind of, like, horror movie um, chase scene kind of thing, and it never happened. But just the promise of that, the thought of that made... Ezra's wood kind of stick out in my mind. Does that make okay. sense? And and the way he leads that that army into the woods and basically sets them at the mercy of the Dark Hunter, and the Dark Hunter just tears them to pieces for him. Which was that's in, that's in the beginning of the book. That was that was so much fun to to read. How do you feel about the re, uh, the resolution of the or the description of what the Dark Hunter is at the end? You're gonna you're gonna have to remind me what it is. So when he's meeting with <laughs> when he's meeting with uh, the wolf with uh, Ezra. He's, okay. Uh, he says that it's it's Ezra, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. Feeling, I'm feeling really nervous all of a sudden that I'm saying everything <laughs> wrong, and people are going to be yelling at the podcast. Welcome to my chair, Ryan. Yeah. So it, it's Ezra, and he says it's my hubris. Like that's all he says is it's my hubris. I figured it was like his Darth Vader, and he was Palpatine or something like I that. I kind of I kind of pictured it like the like the Dexter, uh, the Dark Passenger concept, which is a a sound psychological concept used uh for psychopaths sociopaths it's this idea that there is this unconscious or subconscious other that resides within a sort of like the ego and the id and all of that mm -hmm. that it is the the sum of all of our darkest urges the darkest side of our human nature and so like in dexter he actually you know calls it his dark passenger he he like almost treats it like a separate part of himself because of his I believe he's a sociopath. I don't know if he's a psychopath or a sociopath. I don't remember, but but that was that was sort of what I thought it was. It was the the that other part of this guy's mind that because he's Ezra the Mad, like he's wrestling with himself essentially. So, and that's just manifested in the woods. Exactly. Well, the whole thing, the whole point of the woods, they're not anything special until he goes into the woods and like dedicates himself to the study of magic, if I'm remembering this correctly. Right, like right. basically, basically he twists the woods, 
with his study of magic and the presence of the Dark Hunter and all of that. Okay. I could see this very much being a uh, Jekyll and Hyde situation where he's working, you know, trying to, to, you know, salvage his madness or whatever and breaks off a piece of him and then has to deal with that. That would be uh, just... Or or a little a little more common one. Have any of you guys seen Rick and Morty? Uh, yeah. I'm not. I yeah, haven't ever gotten into it. And boy, am I going to get some emails about that. There's one there's one episode where where Rick and Morty, they go through like a cleansing machine and all of the, the nasty negative toxin toxic parts of their bodies are taken out. And so there are these two separate beings, like the human version of Rick and then this sludge slimy toxin version. And sort of that's that's how I pictured it. OK, Um Oh, what would be left if we went through that? If if we went through that, like, okay, so I go through the uh, the conveyor belt car wash that is being described here, um, and what's left behind, what goes down the drain, is you. Yeah. <laughs> like you are you are my my dark id. I accept that. <laughs> uh, Stephanie, what about you? Like favorite moments? Oh, or I was things? like. I'm getting to the point where I'm feeling like I read a completely different book than the three of you. <laughs> what, what jumped out to you? What are you going like, to remember? Oh, gosh. Uh, so I'm kind of in the same place that Craig is. Like, I read this. I finished this book three, four weeks ago, and I remember so little of it. And I feel bad that I remember so little of it. I, I think that it says something about, and we've already kind of, maybe we can talk about this more later or maybe now but i think it says something about how much the scope of this book expanded and i think i i remember texting you ryan at one point where i was like i'm 60 percent through the third book in a trilogy and i'm being introduced to new characters and new plot lines that you know that it's like it feels like it's the beginning of an arc um where you know that kind of explosion of characters and storylines this late in the trilogy made it so I like I'm chasing down, you know, trying to remember threads of storylines and, and I was having a really rough time doing it. Yeah. Part mm -hmm. of me is like um, um, compartmentalizing. Nice. Like each story as like a different book that I've read. Mm. And so I'm trying to remember what is actually a part of this specific book. But I remember a lot of more mostly like relationships Um, thinking about like Dorian and, and Janine. Mm -hmm. And thinking about um, when you get Vi and Kylar and um, Aline. Aline together and that in, that that dynamic. And I'm thinking of Sauron and his relationship once he ends up. Sauron. Sauron. So, so, I was like, so, that's a different book. What, <laughs> yeah, very, what is very that, different book. What does that remind me of? Gosh. <laughs> See, this is what I told you. Like, all these books are just <laughs> one big book. Um, and I... I think from the from the perspective of a writer for a moment, this is this is probably the the weakness of what could be argued argued as one of the greatest dark fantasy series in the history of fiction, right? It's it's everybody who has ever read who who thinks of an assassin, they'll think of Entreri or um or Durzo Blint Kylar Stern. Wait, wait, because not not uh Ezio? No, what's the no. name of the guy from uh, Assassin's Apprentice? Oh, uh, yeah. Gerton yeah, his, What's he's obviously on that list. Who? Gerton, Gerton Clubfoot. No. No. <laughs> no. Oh, no, that's, that's Age of Assassins. Sorry. No, I'm a, listening to Age of Assassins Robin, now. Robin Hobb. And see, this, there you go. Fitz Chivalry. There you go. Um, anyway, go on with your point. <laughs> so, so like the 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 if the first Night Angel book established this world and this tone, this dark gritty, muddy, mire, garbage tone for this world, right? And and it stuck with it perfectly throughout. Like 90% of the story takes place in darkness, which is exactly what you'd expect from Assassin's Story. But, the, but book two, it got a little bit bigger and not exponentially bigger. So it was still a story that you could follow because you loved Kylar, you loved Logan, you loved all of these characters that you've been really interested in. The story that, that you ended um, at the end of book one was just so fascinating. You had to get more of book two, but then book three grew too exponentially. And I think that's the series weakness. It's sort of like the book two's fail, except it's in book three, because he tried to make it so big or he made it so big that it ended up growing a little bit too big for the lean, tight, narrow focus story that readers fell in love with in book one. Which makes me wonder, um, 
I know that there has been talk that he will revisit that he might revisit this world, like the the world oh, that he's built here. Oh, nice. Yeah, um, the, yeah, he is planning to do that. Um, but it may not be with like it may be with Kylar, it may not be with Kylar type setup. Like that's the last thing I had read. I could be wrong. So my curiosity would be that in the how much of this growth and and building was a necessity to complete the storyline that he's that he had in the in the Night Angel trilogy, and how much of it was world building so that he could play in the sandbox down the road in subsequent series. You know the the introduction the the monsters the crow the crow. Crawl, yeah. The crawl in this. Wait, wait, like, is that right? Isn't that Guardians of the Galaxy or something like that? Or Captain Marvel? Crawl, well, that, that's the Kree. That's also the Kree and the Scrolls. Scrolls, there we go. Okay. Yeah, well, and the Krull's also an 80s film and things like that. But <laughs> so we have these uh, like undead monster creatures here, which are pretty big time like scary villains. And there's enough to like make the entire world, like the whole landscape around them in the finale look like this giant black wave you know going around like these are scary things and they're only in the story for a few pages a few pages yeah. you know dorian we, we get introduced to them through dorian earlier about if we need to you know raise this army from you know from the corpses of of these you know people or whatever you know i i'm wondering like it's that kinda, sort of thing it, is that like, world building we never we never got mary and pippin on the backs of the urukai and kind of seeing what a band of you know 200 300 orcs look like before helm's deep when there's 10,000 of them right yeah there there's no there's no is if, if it really is kroll boy am i having a hard time remembering uh but yeah we never get you know a scene of the kroll doing kroll things before they kind of uh, become the great the great danger yeah, just, yeah but i think my, my biggest point is that character like pieces like that were they brought in as a a world building piece versus a I need these characters to solve the problem you're like oh, I need right, an right. army at the end so I'm going to create these ones oh, I see versus saying. saying hey there's this whole you know additional uh, you know religion out here this this whole piece with uh, Kali and everything you know I I'm just curious because I those are the pieces that I'd be interested in seeing in a subsequent you know sequel series down the road or whatever How, what are you going to carry over is it just the world and the magic system or what, and just be curious as to what uh, foundational ground, foundational groundwork, redundant, redundant redundancy, <laughs> foundational groundwork he laid here. Right. I think it it depends on how he on his his writing style. So there's you know there's the pantsing and plotting the the architect and gardener, and so the way this series sort of mushroomed so massively, it it feels like it was like he was making up the story as he went, in in a very in a very authorly sort of way where he he's just sort of discovering the story through the eyes of Kylar and Durzo and Logan and all these characters. And then he realizes, okay, he's been, he knows that he's got this big ending coming up. He wants to have this big seven army battle and the goddess Kali and all of that. But how is he going to get there? And this is, and, and I wonder if he realized it until the second book or even in the third book that he's going to have to introduce all these pieces to make it work. Or if it's, if it's just something he didn't, find a way to introduce into the first and second book because the stories were much more narrowly focused. See that. Uh, let's jump into maybe some of those things that the, that brought people together. Uh, Stephanie, you talked about uh, some of the relationships and things. The, the reason that everyone's together for this giant battle at the end is, is pieces like uh, Dorian and Janine and, and him becoming God King and things like that. Um, which What stood out to you about... You specifically brought up Dorian and Janine. I'm curious as to what it was about them that that you were so drawn to or what you liked or didn't like so i think the hardest thing about their relationship and especially dorian's character is i i was enjoying getting to know dorian through the first two books there was something um endearing about him and his the virtues that he was holding on to with his upbringing being part of like being son of the god king and everything for him to change so drastically to the point where Janine became his world and he was lying to her and he was manipulating her all for the good of something like in his mind that he was justifying all of this. I was so disappointed in the turn that he took Dorian because he was such he was such a great character to me and he was so powerful and I loved getting to know him. And then all of a sudden I'm like, you're a dirtbag. And it kind of came out of nowhere because he just all of a sudden had this obsession with this girl 
that he had seen in some previous memory of a vision that he had and I That's, was. Uh, it's interesting you bring that up. If you don't mind, I'll, I'll uh, piggyback on that because a redditor, uh, edog four, edog four. That's a new one. I don't think we've had a comment from edog four yet. Mm -mm. So welcome. Um, says Dorian's character. I didn't buy the speed of his descent into being the bad guy. Maybe it's believable with the nature of the veer, or maybe that's the nature of addiction. Thoughts. Um, and so I, I think you and E Dog Four are <laughs> yeah, on the same like, page. I I can I can see that I can agree with that. That I mean, it did make me think as to exactly what could change him so quickly, and if it is just the fact that he's obsessed with this girl to the point where he is willing to damage his soul and all of the growth that he's made and everything he decided to step away from that he was so disgusted by to completely turn his world around to become that thing that he was disgusted by. Um, and then towards at the very end when he uses his all-powerful magic and everything and ends up insane and in the corner doing who knows, I don't remember what he was doing. I just remember he had lost his mind and that was it Solon was like, oh, I'll take care of him. Like it was so, it was kind of a letdown to me like this. I was I was sad that that's where his character ended up yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I really liked in the first couple of books with his um, gift of prophecy and all that that made him simultaneously a really important and powerful player on the board but also extremely vulnerable mm -hmm. right and he has to have this kind of coterie of people around him uh, taking yeah, care I, of him I, rem I remember him having sort of an, an entourage or you know guards and he was sort of like a like almost like a scribe priesty kind of character like not not anyone of big power at least when they introduced him right 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 um, so yeah, and then he kind of uh, stumbles into, I, I remember this one vividly. I texted you and, and we were talking about where the book was at. You, you said, where are you at? Mm -hmm. And I said, Dorian just accidentally became the God King. And you said, well, that's an interesting choice of words. Yeah. Um, so maybe you can tell me what you mean by that. But, but before you do, um, I did think that his storyline was I, I, like... I can totally see where you and E-Dog are coming down on this, where it was too abrupt. Like, I get it. I might even agree with you. I'm not sure. I haven't thought enough about that particular aspect of it yet. Uh, but I do think that his storyline is really interesting um, from a couple of different perspectives. It could be that uh, it could be just uh, look at how powerful the Veer is. And that's the point of it, right? Uh, it can corrupt even a guy like Dorian so quickly. Um, it could be a sort of meditation on that old axiom, uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely, where he gains the throne and then suddenly he goes from kind of Dorian the reformer. <laughs> Come on, boots. Uh, sorry. Um, he goes from Dorian the reformer to Dorian the awful god king who, you know, decides, oh, no, I, I really do need a harem. And yeah, we really are going to go to war and I'm going to annihilate everything forever. Um, he, he, he gets there. Um, and so it could be a whole power corrupts thing. But I also couldn't help but thinking of this idea that I've seen brought up. I read a lot about, um, well, okay, less than I did at one point, but a lot about um, not just politics, but geopolitics. Um, and there's this whole concept that, uh, that a country... Uh, that a state has a a personality all its own and it has needs and a, a drive all its own. And to a certain extent, uh, to a great extent, it does not matter who is running the show uh, because events will overtake them and events will necessitate certain things. And so, you know, we yeah, from a certain school of thought, you know, you can decide how much you buy into this. Thanks, Obi Wan. If, if, from a certain point of view, uh, that sounds that sounds like nature versus nurture, but on a political scale. It could be, yeah. It, it, so the question is, you know, does it matter, or how much does it matter who wins X presidential election? Because uh, you know, if if Al Gore wins the U.S. presidential election in the year two thousand, and then nine eleven happens how much is really going to be different? You know, the country mm -hmm. is on a certain trajectory, an event, a big event happens and it sets the country on a, a certain trajectory. How much does it really matter? And so it made me think of that because Dorian is a certain person. He wants to accomplish certain reforms in the country, 
but the country is on a trajectory. It has a personality. Um, it has things that it wants as a culture, as a state. Mm -hmm. And he is, uh, if he doesn't want to be destroyed himself, uh, he has to go along with that. Um, now, anyway. how, how, how much is that clarified and explained? So, so uh, the, when I started writing, I learned that you can, you can make your audience believe anything if you explain it rationally. And so that, that's what, like, uh, you were talking about this sudden, sudden change, this mercurial shift in his nature when he became God King. The, the absolute power corrupts absolutely. I felt like they didn't show that. It wasn't like there was an explanation for his descent into the character he became. It was just like, now you're the God King. Now you're a totally different person than you were 15 minutes before. Yeah. So that's, that's where it, in my opinion, that particular character fell a little bit short because we had we've seen Dorian throughout books one and two. You know the the, the different steps that he takes, his prophecies, his all of his actions, and then he he accidentally becomes the God King, and then he totally changes. All right, all right, here I come. Here comes the apologist. I'm <laughs> what, coming to defend what? Dorian and this <laughs> can whole I, character before, change. Before you do, okay? Can I make one more point? Um, Fine. Sorry, you do this to me all the yes. time. I'm paying you back. Uh, <laughs> on the power corrupts thing, one other reason, and this maybe this will be a sort of apologist note too, because I actually kind of liked this storyline, although I see the the shortcomings that you guys are talking about. Um, the uh, Lord Acton's thing, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, absolutely, uh, is rather misunderstood. It can be read just fine the way that we talk about it, but uh, he was actually referring to um, the people, not the person who gains power, but the people around them or the people being led by that person um, where, oh, man, I, okay, I am not going to bring up <laughs> contemporary examples of this. <laughs> I refuse. Uh, but let's stick with Dorian. One of the reasons I liked this storyline was because of Janine and how she reacted and where his power at his gaining power and you know i want to keep power and well if i want to reform things i have to stay in power and so i got to make this compromise and that compromise and yes it corrupts him but then you watch janine encouraging those decisions and you know making certain decisions of her own yeah i think the big one that is coming to my mind right now is the harem uh but there are i think there are some other ones in there that i am forgetting at the moment but about janine or about dorian janine encourages him to retain his harem and to use it but i don't remember like that was something he kept from her wasn't it no because no, no, i thought a that was something they made that, together okay because i don't remember her they being had a, a part discussion of it. about it so i thought that was a lie that he was like oh i'm i'm not going to tell her because when the whatever he was that brought in his two daughters and he had sex with the girl right in front of her father I don't remember like did they, and I'm like did they do it there on the floor or yeah. was it, uh -huh. okay right, right. and I remember Dorian being like if I'll, if only she, I hope that she can forgive me for this like mm -hmm. because that was something that she did not okay like that was that was like his first right. act outside mm -hmm. of yeah. like and that's and the thing, like with the harem so the thing with Dorian and my argument here about the change in his character, um, it's not really explained, but it is definitely shown. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's definitely shown through there. Um, and Dorian, I feel like Dorian and Logan kind of are foils um, in similar paths there. They've come into leadership. Um, but Dorian starts to take on the mentality of the ends justifying the means, whereas uh, Logan holds to his uh, morality pretty straightforward to the point where he actually has to kill kylar in like the worst way oh, i've it's, you know i have notes on that by the way <laughs> let's come back to it um so as you're watching the the change in dorian isn't too fast for isn't isn't too big of a change for me or too sudden because what it is is it's a series of small decisions of saying this time i will let this slide um or i'm gonna do this for the greater good so the whole time he thinks he's doing the right thing in the long run by giving up this little bit of ground here and every time you do that whenever you do that uh, when you turn around and look, you realize how far you can go from, you know, from the point A where you were and where you want to go to somewhere else. And I feel like Dorian, the reason um, at the end of the book where he, when he realizes uh, to the point where he rips the veer out of him, like he actually, you mm -hmm. know, does that and realizes that, you know, it'll probably kill him um, and it'll allow him to, to use Kirok and everything. 
it's that real part of that is the realization going back and looking back and saying, wow, I was here and I've come this far. The only way for me to even remotely get back to what I w wish I was and where I was is to remove entirely that which corrupted me. And he blamed and that, you know, a big portion of that is the veer. I do think Janine played a factor in that in the sense that she is trying to be a supportive queen and, and wife. And even though she, you know, she loves him, but kind of doesn't type thing, like she just can't find the love for him that she had for Logan for the, you know, 15 minutes that those two were together. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I, the fact that the Janine's always like, no, you know, with the harem, she says, no, they're going to be killed. You're, you need to take like, you need to, you need to take these women so they don't get killed. And then he says, well, I will never sleep with them. And she's like, don't be an that's, idiot. That's not how this works. That's yeah. Go go do it. That's not how the force works. <laughs> so Janine is a bit of a, a an enabler, both a good intention, which is what allows them to have their salvation later on and come back from mm -hmm. that. So that that's why I would argue that it's not that sudden. It's not that out of there. It's just it's it's not. We don't shine a spotlight on the whole on the process. Yeah. Until you look back and go, oh yeah, steps. You know, step one is. You know, deciding you're going to be the God King. Step two is killing this person. Step three is having sex with a 13-year-old girl in front of her father. Like, that's... It progressively gets worse as they go along. Yeah, these books were kind of rough sometimes, weren't they? They, they were dark. <laughs> they, I, that's, you know, like, talk the style of dark fantasy thing here. Speaking of which... Torture. Okay, listen. Let's, <laughs> let's go to the wheel. All right, so tell me yeah, about the wheel, was, because... That I have, was brutal. Uh, Andy, tell me what happens with the wheel, and then I'll tell you what I think of it. You know, it, it's been a long time. I think it's just they just shatter all of his limbs. So he's, after he's been on the wheel for like what, a, what, for but a what day. is the wheel? He is he's he's, he's tied. He's strapped spreading. to a wheel, yeah. And then the wheel turns and he goes under but the there, water. There's spikes. There's spikes all around the wheel. He's got his his hands up. So imagine you know hands up, legs stretched the out. The Vitruvian Man. Yes, uh, the wheel is spun by the by the water that's going through the. So his head goes underwater every time the wheel does a rotation slowly there. And uh, as he as he gets weaker in the arms and legs, his body falls on spikes on either side, um, and that's that's what and goes they, on. Yeah, they, so they pierce his chest, his stomach, his which head, would be his... bad for anybody in general. But the fact is that Kylar heals faster than this can damage him, basically. So he's been right. on there for like a day. He and, survives for yeah, way and it's not until Logan anyone. comes in and, and rips the the chair off of the, the leg off of a, a table or a chair and shatters his bones in front of an ambassador, like which by that's, the way, that's what I remember. That was just that was brutal. That whole scene was just like painful. I mean, it was, it was super well written, which is exactly why it's so brutal. It's just so well described and visceral. Yeah, yeah. It has such strength to, and to me, watching that section, it, it, fed, so it fed so well to giving strength to Logan as a leader, giving uh, more validity to Kylar's sacrifice, and just showing the, you know, like, Kylar and Logan's relationship by this point is so thick with brotherly love that it, it rips you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that phrase. That's much appreciated. You're welcome. <laughs> thick with brotherly love. I'm going to throw it back out there. <laughs> so that the fact that Logan has to do this uses it in such a great way. Like I remember reading this and just being emotionally ripped apart because it was just the right thing to write, the right way to handle it, um, but so hard to deal with. So, and then the fact that Kylar was dying, which was not very commonly done mm -hmm. at the time it came out. Your hero never died in, in you know, classic fantasy. So the fact that Kylar was actually going to be killed right up until he meets the wolf and the whole explanation and things like that, it was just like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. Um, so, so this brings up something that we kind of talked about in our book two discussions. Stephanie, Stephanie you especially, is like, what kind of person comes <laughs> up with this sort of stuff, right? How like how, how twisted do you have to be and all and all, and all that? And well, I have an answer for you. Oh, good. And the answer is a perfectly sane and reasonable person. Yeah. Uh, and I I was reading a different book. This has nothing to do with uh, <laughs> with the Night Angel trilogy. But in this book, uh, they get into a discussion, a, a brief discussion of medieval torture. Um. And so I'm just going to read you a little bit. Now, if you are driving in the car with small children or an especially squeamish spouse. What are or, you doing? <laughs> yeah, first of all, stop. 
<laughs> PG-13. We try to keep it PG-13, not PG. Um, but uh, but I'm going to read you a little bit from Steven Pinker's uh, book. This is from The Better Angels of Our Nature, Why Violence Has Declined. And he goes and visits the Museum of Medieval Torture in Italy. And here are a few highlights. Uh, he says, I think even the most atrocity jaded readers of recent history would find something to shock them in this display of medieval cruelty. There's Judas's cradle used in the Spanish Inquisition. The naked victim was bound hand and foot, suspended by an iron belt around the waist and lowered onto a sharp wedge that penetrated the anus or vagina. When victims relaxed their muscles, the point would stretch and tear their tissues. Um, the, vir the Virgin of Nuremberg was a version, a version of the Iron Maiden with spikes that were carefully positioned so as not to transfix the victim's vital organs and prematurely end his suffering. Um, there's a lot more, but I'll, I'll skip to this one. Uh, the pear is a split, spike-tipped wooden knob that was inserted in into a mouth, anus, or vagina and spread apart by a screw mechanism to tear the victim open from the inside. It was used to punish, uh, well, all sorts of stuff. Um, the heretic's fork had a pair of sharp spikes at each end. One end was propped under the victim's jaw and the other at the base of his neck so that as his muscles became exhausted, he would impale himself in both places. Like, look, this guy's got nothing. He's got nothing. Like, <laughs> if this is the, you know, I and I guess part of my point here is just that, like, yeah, it was sick and twisted and disturbing and hard to read and, and you know, hard to imagine being in that in that situation um but no we we live in a pretty pretty gosh darn cruelty free <laughs> society don't we um yeah anyway that's i i couldn't help but think of you stephanie uh, while i was Thank reading you. the torture passages oh, good. Thank yeah, you. you're welcome i don't know if that's considered my my time here is torturous to you or i'm just glad i'm not the one who said that that would have <laughs> Hey, and they've got the torture section at Medieval Times. I literally thought that's where, when you said it was in Italy, I was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... You can see how terrible... It's pretty bad. ...humankind can be. Anyway, so yeah, there's, there's stuff, and I'll I'll consider whether to remove some of that from the actual episode. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, people have done horrible, awful things, and that's not even the worst of it. Like, that's just a few things. Do you feel... Um the writing of book three was he consistent in the darkness and the style of of being willing to kill people being willing to to deal with uh darker and heavier issues i mean you you kind of stephanie you talked a little bit about um being really frustrated with the way that women were were being written do you feel that that improved at all or like as the book as a whole has it been maintained the same level of darkness or did it get darker and worse or better so i think for me especially when it comes to the sexuality of women and his characters the second book was probably the worst and it was the book that i had the hardest time reading um and i really hope this isn't the case but it could be by the time i got to the third book that i just desensitized to it and that i just didn't notice it as much but it's still definitely there mm -hmm. um but i also don't know if it's just because there wasn't as much opportunity for sex. I mean, like Dorian talking about Janine, he still got very graphic about her body. Um, there was some moments with Kylar talking about Aline, but like Vi had by then had had gone into the, the chantry. Turn in her corner. And she's all covered and everything. So like her body's no longer, I mean, it's still- It's, it's, it's less of an issue. Yeah, like, so I just don't know if it's just because the the prostitutes and the whorehouses weren't as big of a storyline with Mama Kay in this book. Like, if the storyline didn't lend itself to as much because it was still there, I thought unnecessarily. Sure. For yeah, the story, as a yeah, what what I'm hearing is that this is essentially a matter of taste, right? This, yeah. It's just not the sort of thing that you care to read personally. I just thought it was overdone, and I didn't think it was. I mean, sex is it's it's a thing like i get it and i'm not bothered by sex but it's the well you're over not you're not ken that's for sure <laughs> it's the overly graphic wordage that he used time and time again i got you that that the, bothered the, me. the hyper the hyper sexualization of the of the male gaze in this in i this don't know why i care but i know more about janine's nipples than i needed to know <laughs> oh yeah because dorian was extremely graphic in Every time he talked about her and her erected nipples, and I was like, 
thank you for that. Like, I, uh, I'm I'm gonna pull that as your little quote. I'm just gonna have Stephanie saying erect nipples, uh, at some point on our blooper reels. I do want to say, um, while we're on this topic a little bit, I do think that he had one of the most entertaining, um, sex sequences in this book. <laughs> which one? I don't uh, remember. <laughs> no the way I'm, that you just said that, Craig, was really, which one? <laughs> what, can you tell me what page that's on? Um, it's uh, when, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need 20 minutes. They, they realized uh, Vife figures out how she can block one direction of the bond that she has with oh, Kylar. Yeah. And so she lets Kylar and Aline have their honeymoon. Right. But she has to. She can't block his sensation. She he can only. She can, can only, only block, block what he's from, feeling from her. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so you get the whole sequence of Kylar and Aline in the other room while Vi is having to deal with it and her on her side. I laughed through that whole section because it was, uh, it was something unique and new in terms of writing a uh, writing that experience from a separate perspective. I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. Was it just the hilarious, most, or did you the find the most original threesome in fiction? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Did you did you find it just hilarious, or was it was it touching? Was it erotic? Was I mean, it there's, what, what, there... <laughs> was it just funny? Uh, mostly mostly funny because of the way that we're we're seeing it all through Vi's eyes um, and her reactions fit so well. But there is a level of being of of. of I really want to be careful how I phrase things because I have a really good, I have a knack for saying things inappropriately. Um, oh, please say it inappropriately. Please <laughs> say it inappropriately. There's a lot in this scene about the about touching. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, touching moments in there to realize. Touching me, <laughs> touching you. The uh, it, it showcases the the love and care that Vi has for Kylar and for Aline to a certain level to allow this because she doesn't have to do this. She just kind of is willing to. Um, to see uh, Kylar and Aline actually finally get to consummate their relationship after everything up to here, even the painfully boring and dull section of uh, them in the village at the beginning of book two that everyone's kind of like, oh, I didn't need that. Like, it's a nice resolution to say, okay, this relationship got to where it needed to be. Now it can move on. Like, yeah. that, scene, that scene kind of was that, for me, it was that flag saying, all right, Kyler and Aline have had their time together. Now we can move her on to let her go die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, I want to, I want to kind of discuss more about um, the romantic relationships in this book. Uh, but I feel like maybe we want to save that for an episode two because uh, we're fine. coming up on the. Uh, we've got a, a few more minutes, but I, I don't. Uh, that's a pretty I don't feel like we want to yeah I don't feel like we want to dive into a big topic right now but I will say this about Vi um I really enjoyed her arc in this in the whole series um especially at the end of book 2 and now in this one um where it's I don't know how it, obviously everybody's situation is going to be different I don't know how common this reaction would be but I, I found that it I, I found it interesting that the moment she was released from that awful abusive situation, um, that you know her her strong character came forward and kind of helped her heal, um, and that you know she so she's a good person she she wants to do right by other people, um, she's just only ever had awful. Um, characteristics modeled for her mm. and so she never knew how to do anything else and so now she finally has the opportunity to stretch her own wings and and those are uh pretty nice you know by the end of the series she more than maybe any other character in the entire series uh, including kylar um is the one who shows the most capacity for selfless love right um so yeah i i I liked her coming from a location of not being able to do that prior. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, she gets say, the most improved category. Yeah, I would because I would I might be able to argue the idea that Aline is better at selfless love, other than her relationship with Kyler at the beginning, in the fact that she her sacrifice of self, her thing, it's just sure, more sure. I there. Understand. Yeah, but okay. it came from her like already being that from being a devout follower of the one God and already being in that place right so right it's not a far step for her whereas vi it is absolutely it's it's the other side of her world yeah 
Okay. Uh, well, Andy, maybe we should kick it to you and ask um, any final thoughts uh, as you are coming to the conclusion of this uh, discussion. Final thoughts on Night Angel as a trilogy, uh, this book on its own. What do you think? I, I think it still stands in my memory as one of the greatest stories written of its kind and definitely one of the first of its kind you know like you mentioned chivalry it's a very different sort of story than um than this one it's much more political in nature whereas this one is a lot darker a lot more aggressive i'd say and and so i think it really set the bar for what fantasy could like how far the bounds could be pushed how far readers were willing to accept and i it, it sort of spawned in its own way, a lot of the grim, dark, and dark fantasy movement that, you know, reached its crescendo a couple of years ago. And so definitely for me, and it's the one thing I'll always take away. I have a hard time not writing my own, you know, alleys and slums exactly the way I picture, you know, where Kylar was raised and where, uh, or sorry, Azoth and, and uh, Dollface, I think her name mm-hmm. was, and where all mm-hmm. of that rat, like, that's what I picture when I when I think of the Night Angel series, it's just that darkness and those slums and those alleys. And that's something that wasn't really common before then. And so it's imprinted into my memory along with the memory of so many readers like us, like yeah. me. Um, and so, you know, I, I feel like, okay, it's safe to say Andy is going to recommend the Night, Night Angel trilogy. But <laughs> but let me let me ask it this way. To whom do you recommend the Night Angel trilogy? Do you have like, would you have an age cut off or, you know... Like, hey, Grandma, you probably shouldn't read this book or whatever. I always make sure to ask, do you like the darker side of fantasy before recommending it? Because there is so much dark in it. There's all the the torture and the rape and the abuse and the violence and all that. Like, you've really got to have the stomach for that kind of thing to go through it. So I'm like, so do you prefer, you know, more Lord of the Rings style or do you like things darker? And then I, and then I can answer that question with Night Angel. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, cool. Any other final thoughts? I... I just want for this episode anyway. I hope that this can be handled quickly. I want to throw out a question here. What was your response to the reveal from the wolf about the price of Kylar's immortality? Oh man, I was going to bring that up on the next episode. Um, I'll we see. can get into it more. Give just give me like a a, a quick preview of of what you think. Um, it was it was not only one hundred percent necessary narratively. Uh, but it was also really satisfying, personally. Okay. It's the perfect, the perfect, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, it's the perfect way to quantify something as unquantifiable as magic. Very simple. You one, live, one you die. One. Exactly. Super, just just broke it down in a way that that made it so easy to understand. And so then every time he came close to death afterward, it's like, okay, who's going to die if he dies to bring him back? And so it was immediately apparent what the stakes were throughout the rest of the series after that review. That's, I kind of felt that same way where it, it was necessary. It gave Kylar some responsibility with his own life instead of just saying, hey, well, I can die, sure. And it was interesting to me, to as he pointed out, who died for every time he came back. Like, I love that. This, this person, and I can't even remember any of their names now, um, but this person died when this happened to you and this person died when this happened to you. And that was interesting to me. And it kind of justified a little bit for those deaths that I felt a little bit more like that they weren't wasted, that they weren't, I mean, they weren't super in-depth characters that we had grown to love, but it but made, they weren't, they weren't narratively wasted. Yeah. I just didn't feel like they were, oh, well, we're just going to throw her character away because she wasn't. I didn't feel like writing her, her anymore nip, her about her. Her nipples weren't nice enough. <laughs> she did not meet my standards in women, so I had to kill her <laughs> off. Like, so yeah. Uh, is that? Are you satisfied, Ryan? <laughs> That's. I just. I want. I wanted. Especially. I just wanted to get our quick takes on that. Okay. I, hopefully, we can. You know, maybe we'll explore it more in the next one. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about that. I feel like we've got plenty to go on. So let's go ahead and and wrap that discussion there now before we go i've got a few things i want to do first of all i want to encourage everybody once again to hit the show notes and go check out andy's books i'll have a link to them uh, in those show notes whether it's on the website or on itunes or whatever any any place you can see those show notes go check it out um but this on a more personal note ryan and stephanie are, are are moving into a new home. And so I thought, you know, I need to get a housewarming gift 
And I found the perfect one. It's not perfect for Stephanie. I'm terrified. It's it's the opposite. <laughs> look of concern she I'm has. I'm sitting here in this room that Craig has decorated going, what in the world did he buy me for my new house? Um, it's uh, it, it's right over here. Um, here, if you could pass that over to Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan, what are you holding in your hands? I am holding a 25th anniversary edition of The Last Starfighter in Blu-ray. I expect this to be the first thing that you play at a loud, loud volume in your new home. It's the worst <laughs> It's the worst movie ever made, and Ryan loves it. I own this. <laughs> Do you really? Blu-ray. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> and digital. Because it is so terrible, and I do love it. You do? You own it already? I own it. All right, it's staying and, in the studio. And then. I've never seen it. How have we been married eight and a half years, and I've never... There are parts of my movie collection you don't get to see. That I've never been forced <laughs> to watch this. The last, the last Starfighter is the is behind the beaded curtain in the movie collection. Oh, he's made me watch some I really terrible it, stuff. You know, but... Hide it behind the porn, you know? <laughs> yeah, because that's okay in the house, but the last Starfighter... She's, that... like, she's like, what's this box at, in the back corner of the closet? And he's like, don't worry the, uh, don't worry about the box. Just don't lift it up and look underneath it. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's fine. You can look in the box. Just don't lift it up. Yep. Uh, okay, well, screw you for already having your housewarming gift. Um, I, it's appreciated. The thought, the you know, check my checkbox, the thought counts. It's all nice. We love it. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, you know, I kind of have this vague thought in my mind that at some point we ought to do um, the thing that we've been threatening to do forever, uh, which is commentary tracks Yeah. on things like that. I, I, got, the, I got the last Starfighter. I also got <laughs> Dune. Yeah, the the old uh, what's his name version of Dune um, from the eighties. So was this in the one dollar box at Walmart? No, 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 no. I I got them from Lord Bezos. Um, <laughs> he uh, uh, God King Bezos gifted me with uh, some very very inexpensive Blu-rays here. So um, <laughs> anyway. Thanks, everybody, for listening uh, and having some fun with us. Make sure you go to thelegendarium.reddit.com and join in the conversation there. Make sure you go to our website, thelegendariumpodcast.com. <laughs> I, like, I, I was like, what else is there? No, because there's also patreon.com slash legendarium where you can support the show. But We're now the legendariumpodcast.gov because <laughs> we're declaring ourselves I was going to say, you? <laughs> now I really am the God King. Um, no, I, I, I want to encourage everybody to go to our website, which I don't often do. It, it is where we have all of our archives, and so that's great. But these days on the front page, you can sign up for the weekly newsletter. Right now, Kyle is doing his Cosmere Quest Kyle's trying to catch up to the rest of us. Uh, Jafu ran the numbers, and at the rate Kyle is reading the Cosmere, it will only take him six years. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that's a pretty low estimate. <laughs> so I told him yesterday he's got to pick up the pace. <laughs> which which book are you on? So he is going, he's going um, chronologically by release date. So he's starting oh, with Elantris. Wow. Um, he's only you know, he's only ten chapters or so through Elantris, um, and uh, he's really enjoying it. So, um, anyway, so if you <laughs> if you care to follow along with that, what he's doing is uh, creating about a twenty minute YouTube video uh, each week as he reads through Elantris and eventually the rest of the Cosmere. Um, and those are here's the plan. Those are set right now to where you can't find them. You won't find them on our channel. They're private videos. You can only watch them if you do one of two things. Uh, support us on Patreon. They'll all be on Patreon or sign up for that newsletter. Um, if you sign up for that email newsletter, you'll get all of those Kyle's Cosmere Quest. Um, I lobbied for all those to start with K's and he over overruled me. Um <laughs> Uh, you can you can get all those emails and watch all those videos that way. So I encourage you to go to our website and sign up on the front page for that newsletter. Other than that, I think... Um, oh, and the other thing is, uh, yeah, like I said up top, we now have merch. And you'll find the link to the store there on the front page. So um, I think that's it. We'll, we'll come back for another discussion of... Uh, whatever this book is called, Beyond the Shadow. Yeah, at a certain point, you just call this Night, Night Angel. Angel 3. <laughs> Night Angel 3. Um, and, uh, and that'll be out in a couple of weeks. I think there's another Children of Dune coming up from the Blue Team. And then they're also releasing... Good Omens. Good Omens, yes. Uh, Good Omens is coming out at the end of this month, May 2019. 
on Amazon. Uh, the, the series is coming out. And so uh, Blue Team and Ryan decided to read that one. So if you haven't... Uh, if you loved my uh, my hosting and directing of the commentary today, you're going to love that episode. <laughs> I was there. I thought it was a little smoother. Yeah. It, my, my hosting is basically a twister board. Spin it and whatever it ends up on, <laughs> we're going to be touching something. So our thanks to... <laughs> Wow. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's super inappropriate. I it's about time. I tried to, I, you guys, I was trying to breeze past it. But <laughs> uh, all right. Our thanks to Andy Peliquin for joining us today. Make sure you check out Andy. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Hey Ryan, get better soon. And I can't believe you weren't here for me. I feel really let down. Really, really let down. You should have been here, man. We had a great time without you. <laughs> that was mean. <laughs>